Good morning. Let's try that again. Good morning. Yeah, there's so many people out there. I thought it'd be a lot louder. Yeah. Well, my name is Matt. I'm the lead pastor here at Mission View Church, and I'm so glad you're here for worship with us this morning. If this is your first time, welcome. Um, we are in a sermon series now called The Treasure Principle. Um, if you have your Bibles, let's we'll jump right in. Let's go ahead and open up to 1 Timothy. We're going to be in the book of 1 Timothy. Um, it's been a really powerful series so far. One of the biggest takeaways for me was in the first week where we were really looking at how God says that our, our heart follows our treasure. And kind of one of the big takeaways that we got from that was that, that we can actually direct our hearts a little bit. That, we, that we, can, we can put our treasures in places. And I use uh, this, this picture, this story of, of how if, if I were to invest in the stock market, which I don't, but if I were to invest in the stock market, let's say like Apple products, which I probably should because I have an iPhone, an iPad, and a MacBook Pro and all these things. But let's say I invested in that, what would I start doing? I would start getting online and, and watching stock prices and checking on my investment. And I may even go to my friends and family and neighbors and say, hey, you should check out this iPhone. It's really great. You should maybe buy a MacBook or something like this. But, but this idea that, that where we, in, we invest our treasures, where we put those things, our hearts follow it. And that big takeaway, because our hearts are such an important part of who we are. I mean, it, it directs us, it reveals to us kind of where we're at. So that takeaway for me was just huge, how we can, we can utilize the things that God's given us to actually direct our hearts. But that was a big takeaway for me. And I, I hope you're, you're learning a lot through this and as we go through this, it's more of a systematic, we're not really going through a book of the Bible or anything like that. We're kind of taking a systematic view throughout different scriptures of how God tells us to deal with um, the treasures he gives us, our finances, and what that looks like. So here in 1 Timothy, we're going to be in chapter 6 verses 11 through 22, spending most of our time in 17 through um, 21, rather, not 22. But let's go ahead and pray before I read uh, our scripture for today. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And God, as we pray each Sunday, we pray that you would mold us and make us um, the people you've created us to be. God, that we would submit to your authority, that we would uh, be joyfully obedient as you reveal truth to us today. God, I pray that you would give me the words to share, um, no more and no less. God, that you would be glorified in everything that we, we look at and talk about today. Give us willing hearts. Do what only you can do in the lives of your people through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's pick this up in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. It says, But as for you, O man of God, this is Paul talking to Timothy, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, 
the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. I love how Paul just goes into worship. You guys pick that up in his, in his books yet, the epistles? He'll be talking about like this really serious theological doctrinal piece, and it's really deep, and you're like, man, this is, how can I wrap my head around this? And he goes into worship. I think we can learn something from that. That as we look at who God is and how he interacts with us and, and he reveals to us who we are, there's a response that comes along with that. And the response is worship. Uh, it's a natural progression. But I, just side note there, it's really cool stuff. All right, here's where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. There's a word we don't use very often. Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. You might want to underline it. Who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. It's important. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Take hold of that which is truly life. You might want to circle that phrase as well. Those who, I, I look at this in, in Paul's writing here, and I think it's curious that he uses the words rich in this present age. He's writing this, this letter to Timothy, giving him instruction on how to pastor well, how to care for people well, and he doesn't say to him, um, as for the rich in Ephesus where you're serving, Timothy. Or he, he doesn't say, as for the wealthy um, in your, your Bible group, to those, those there. He says, the rich in this present age. The rich in this present age. We can take away a continued exhortation or directive that there are going to be those who have much in this present age and the ages to come. That this command is given to not just Timothy, but those who would come after him as well. So who are the rich in this current age? You know, I, as your pastor, I read this text, and this is a command to me to share with you, to the rich. So, so we have to kind of get a baseline here. Who is the rich in this current age? Not like at Mission View or North Canton or this current age, what, what, would that, what does that look like? Who are the wealthy? Let's look at 2019. The average household income worldwide is less than $10,000 a year. 10,000 a year. With some of the lowest countries seeing 400 to $600 a year. The USA, our average income in America is $63,000 a year. And you're over six times the average worldwide yearly income. I think it's safe for us to say that in this current age, we are rich. We have so much. God has blessed us amazingly. And the funny thing about this, too, is we don't choose where we're born. We don't choose our parents. 
I mean, God chooses that for us. Praise the Lord that we were born in a place with great opportunity, with freedom, and and to be able to worship and do the things that we do. God has blessed us so much. So I believe this for us today. It's the first filling in your notes, and it's taken right out of the very first part of our text. The first filling is this. Put on humility through serving others joyfully. In verse 17, it says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Isn't that a funny word? Haughty. Here's what it means. It means proud, vain, arrogant, conceited, snobbish, stuck up, pompous, self-important, superior, egotistical, supercilious. Can you say that, anyone? Supercilious. Oh, come on. Try it once. Supercilious. Isn't that fun? Supercilious. I'd never even heard that word before. Condescending, lofty, patronizing, smug, scornful, contemptuous, disdainful, overweening, overbearing, imperious, lordly, cavalier, high-handed, full of oneself, above oneself. Now, as we talk about this and we talk about putting on humility by or through serving others joyfully, you're probably, you can think back to as we went through the book of Ephesians and we talked about the put off and put on principle, right? We see it all through scripture. So I'm kind of borrowing from it, but it's actually in our text today too, is that putting off humility, we put on servitude. That like in Philippians 3, it's, it says, uh, do nothing out of uh, selfishness or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than ourselves. That, that if we're going to fight pride, if we're going to fight haughtiness, we fight it by putting on the opposite in kind of too extreme. That's how we, we talked about it before. By doing that, what we're actually doing is we're becoming Christ-like. We're becoming Christ-like. That God's doing a work in us. And, and really, we can't walk into that. We can't think of others as better than ourselves. And we can't put on this humility apart from the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. That we would even consider doing that is, is a proof of the power of God in us, which is awesome. So if you're listening to this right now and you're going, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to be haughty. I don't want to be prideful. How can I walk in humility? If you're thinking through that, that's, that is the Holy Spirit. That is the Lord working in your heart. Praise God. That's really cool stuff. But here's, here's kind of the, here's the other side of this. The Bible actually says that God opposes the proud, or God opposes the haughty, but he gives grace to the humble. So there's this, there's this underlying theme as we talk about pride and humility, that we can either work towards humility and, and try to walk in humility, or God will bring humility into our lives. Anybody ever experienced that one? Oh my gosh, you don't want to experience this. I remember, um, I'll t- I'm going to tell on myself a little bit. If, a few years back, we, me and my wife enjoyed jogging, and I've always enjoyed running, and I'll, we do 5Ks from time to time, and I remember I signed up for this 5K that Janelle couldn't be a part of, and I was like, I'm going to PR. I, was in, I felt like I was in really, really good shape and just so excited to go and do my best time, and I was feeling pretty good about myself. I was feeling probably a little too good about myself. 
And I go into this, and, and a 5K is about 3.1 miles or something like that. And I'm running, and I have my running watch, and I'm watching my time, and I am smoking my PR. I am doing great. I am so excited. I get to mile two, and I'm just like, I'm awesome. This is great. And a lady pushing a stroller with two kids in it just zooms right by me. Hey, Matt. Gone. And I'm, I, I'm like, I was feeling really, really good about myself until right then. I get passed by the lady with the stroller. God will bring humility into our lives. Why? Because he loves you. Because he loves us. And he knows that if we walk around with our nose held high, looking down on everyone else, we can't see anything in front of us. And some real damage can be done. We could run into some really ugly things. You've heard me say it a million times probably already, but God loves us too much to leave us the way we are. And he comes into our lives and he sees these things that, that maybe trip us up from time to time. And he says, eh, I'm going to work on this. And it hurts. It hurts. As you get passed by a lady with a stroller. <laughs> As you're, breaking, you're making your PR and you get smoked by, yeah, that was great. The reality is this. We can humble ourselves or he will. And God will do it because he loves us. Now, as we talk about humility, um, let's talk about what that doesn't mean. I, I think we've really muddied the waters on this topic quite a bit. So I, I put some stuff in here I wanted to walk through with us. Now, as we talk about humility, I'm not talking about belittling yourself or having an unhealthy view of yourself and others. We're talking about a healthy view of ourselves that, that Scripture alone gives us. I'm not talking about a view that your mom has of you or, or somebody else. We're, we're talking about a biblical understanding of who we are. We have, I mean, look, think about this today. We have self-esteem, self-worth, self-visualization, self-help, self-care. And we even have a magazine called self and I heard this other day, I forget what the, the term was, there's a movie star out there who doesn't have a boyfriend right now, so she's self to get, did anybody else see that? Oh, speak up. Self-partnered. Self That's a good one, isn't it? I mean, self-partnered. <laughs> self-partnered. Self okay, think about this. Think about how... Just crazy that sounds. We don't need more self-esteem. We need more God-esteem. How do we draw the line and gain a healthy, or let me say this, let me, a godly view of what this looks like, the balance of pride and humility? The first thing I want to point out is that selflessness or being Prideful does not mean that you're a doormat. Or getting rid of your pride and being selfless does not mean that you're a doormat. That you'd let others walk all over you and do everything and anything they ask of you. We call that codependency, and it is sinful in other ways. Putting off pride and viewing others as better than ourselves does not mean that you don't take care of yourself by making sure that you have time to do the things that you're responsible for, taking care of your spouse, your kids, your job, and your home. 
It does mean that you're willing to help others, to give generously when you can or if you can. It means that you can draw healthy boundaries when they're needed. It means that you can say no. It means you can say no without having like this overwhelming sense of guilt that you can't overcome and you're afraid to look that person in the eye ever again. I would challenge you to look at it this way, that you would take time to look at the areas of your time, talents, and treasures and prayerfully determine whether God is at the center of each of those things. Are we joyfully serving others, and does it show when we look at our calendar and our bank account? Remembering that those things, what we do with our time, talents, and treasures, reveals our hearts. It reveals what's going on. We are to be a people that store up treasures in heaven, not on earth. And it really challenges us to trust God in, in ways we may ha haven't in the past. It leads us into the second point in your notes is this, is don't put your trust in wealth, but rather generously give and trust in the Lord. And we see it in the text that says it this way, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. That's a really important phrase there. And it goes on to say to be generous and ready to share. Not put our trust in the uncertainty of riches. So how do we not set our hope on riches? By being generous and ready to share. How many of us are generous and ready to share? Anyone? Generous and ready to share? Okay, just bring it on up. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. That's a, that's, that's a challenge. Think about the challenge that Paul's making here. It's completely counterculture to what we have today that we, you know, we think, I don't know about you, but I can get into this kind of mentality. They didn't earn it. I worked hard for this money. Why should I give it to them? Why should I be generous with what I have worked so hard to accumulate? Right? Have you, have you ever been there? I mean, we live in America. How could they be needing for money? I mean, they, this is the land of opportunity. People come here to, to accrue these kinds of things. This is, has, there's no excuse for you. Right? As we're driving down the road and the guy's holding the sign. Why should I give it to anyone else? I worked hard for this. You know what God says to me? <laughs> He says, it's not yours. That's why. It's mine. And that's what God says all through Scripture. That it's all His. We, we are, we're just stewards, managers of, of the gracious gifts that He gives us. But so oftentimes, you know, we look at that check and it's got our name up the corner. We're the one that signs the bottom. We look at our retirement accounts, we think about our futures, and we're worried about all these things, and it's mine, mine, and mine. But it's not. It is not ours. It's never been ours. And what we do with it, I have to say this to you, what we do with God's money, we will be held accountable for. We will be held accountable for. This is hard stuff. Jesus was asked once about paying taxes and his response left his questioners speechless. 
<laughs> this, is, this is great stuff. Listen to this. It says, Then the Pharisees, this is like the religious leaders of the time back then, went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. How would you like that? You know, how would you like to talk to those guys? I mean, they, they're, they're plotting against Jesus. And they sent their disciples to him along with Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully and you do not care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by appearances. Man, you got to watch out for people who talk to you like that. Right? Oh, you're the best. You're amazing. You do, you know, everything you say, everything you do is just amazing. Can I ask you a question? <laughs> Tell us. Tell us then what you think, oh great leader, I, mean, I, I put that in there myself, but is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. They were probably thinking to themselves, you think of the context of this and these religious leaders, they were probably thinking, okay, we have to pay taxes, and we have to give our tithe, our, our 10% to the temple. But there was something greater that that they need to understand, that we need to understand. Yes, we should give a tithe to the Lord, but there's something so much greater that God desires. They should, there was a logical next question they should have asked. Ravi Zacharias points this out. It's amazing truth. They should have said, well, what's God's? The answer would be a question as well. And he would say this, whose likeness is on you? If Caesar's likeness is on the coin... Whose likeness is on you? Whose image were you created in? God is after us. We, we, have, we have such an accomplishment mentality that we, we apply it to our Christianity and we get into his word and we study it and we think we arrive and and, and maybe we do arrive at an understanding greater than what we were. And we, God reveals truth to us. And, and we feel this sense of accomplishment and we move on. We move on to different things. And, and God is continuously showing us and revealing to us that it's not, that is not Christianity. That you and I, we are on a journey for eternity. Not just this journey here on earth, but a journey that will go on for all eternity in relationship with the creator of all things, whose greatness can never be searched out completely, whose wonders will always boggle our minds and bring us, like I said earlier, as Paul's writings do, into worship. As we study him and all his wonder, we are drawn to worship and complete obedience to God. God is not after our money. He's after our hearts. And we see the connection <laughs> that we love to trust in our retirement and it's really difficult to trust in God. 
Jesus was asked again another time by a wealthy young man, what must I do? What must I do to be saved? I have followed all the laws. I've lived a good life. What must I do to be saved? Jesus said this, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. I hear that, and instantly, I'm like, yes! Jesus is saying, come follow me. I'm like, we have like the hindsight's 2020 type thing, because we get to read the book, and we're not in that experience, right? We're like, this is like Jesus, like born of the Virgin Mary. This is God in the flesh. We know all this. He, he, he rose again the third day from the dead. And then he ascended into heaven. Like people saw him like physically go into heaven. Like the crazy miraculous stuff. And like, so we see that. I hear that story. I'm like, yeah, let's go follow Jesus, right? Let's just get you to run to the bank, liquidate. Let's head to follow Jesus, right? But if Jesus were up here on the stage and he looked out and he just said, go sell everything you have, come follow me. Would we really be that excited? I'd be like, man, I got, I got a kid in college. I got that debt to pay off. I got, um, I got a leased vehicle. I got, um, got that retirement, you know, that trying to save up for his account. And we're really working towards being able to, maybe at some time in our lives, be able to... I mean, that's what the rich young ruler did. Jesus said those things, and it says that he hung his head and walked away because he had so much. Do we own our wealth, or does our wealth own us? Are we making decisions based on the glories of God and the extension of his kingdom? Or are we making decisions based on the glories of Matt and the extension of his kingdom? It's just, it's a, it's just such a hard word because, not because we're talking about money, but because in America we've been given so much. We've already determined that the rich in this age is you and I. It's you, and, it's you and me. In essence, we are the rich young ruler because God has, has given us so much. What are we doing with it? What are we doing with it? God wants to use it for his kingdom. We have to ask ourselves these hard questions. Now, again, don't get me wrong here. None, none of those things that I was talking about are bad things. Retirement, accounts, to your kid's college, your responsibilities and the cars that we pay for, those are not bad things in and of themselves. Absolutely save for retirement. Absolutely work hard. I think it was, uh, I forget which theologian said it. He says, uh, work as hard as you can, save as much as you can, and give as much as you can. I think it was John Wesley that said that. You know, those, that idea of doing those things. Money isn't bad. Money's not sinful. It's the love of money that that is the roots of all kinds of wickedness, the Bible says. So we, we have to, I think we regularly have to ask ourselves these hard questions because of the gifts that God has given us. We have to ask ourselves these questions. The third felony notes is this. Invest in eternity 
and find now that which is truly life. Just right from our text there. I don't know if I can say it, Adam. I share, I always, we always, me and Adam share our sermons before the week. I've got the cheesiest pastor line ever. Have you guys, anybody ever heard a cheesy pastor line? This is like the, you ready? All right, this is the cheesiest pastor line ever. You're not truly living unless you're generously giving. Totally cheesy, right? But maybe it'll stick. But I think about it. Look at the text. Look at what it's the investing in eternity and find out that which is truly life. There's actually something that we do, and when we obediently do it, we find something that, that is referred to all throughout Scripture. God talks about living life and more abundantly, that as we seek the kingdom of God first, that all of these things will be added unto us. And then we see it in our text today in Timothy, that that which is truly life, that there's, there's actually something in our life that goes beyond, that is greater, that is better than what is just the regular norm. Like God wants to give us something so much greater and so much more. And we see here a key to it is living a generous life being obedient to Scripture and pouring out the gifts that He's entrusted us with and blessing others, being a generous people. I was having lunch with Tom Hogshead from the summit this past week, and we were talking about giving and, and finances and different things. And, and we both were talking about how the New Testament goes so far beyond tithing. I, it, it talks about radical generosity. That as the church was formed through the book of Acts, that, that they gave to those who were in need. There was, there was no question or different things. It was, it was just, you know, somebody needed something in the church, and it was just given. It was this, this idea of radical generosity. And you see it. You see it all through the New Testament. This, this whole, it's so wild. It's, you know, God made that covenant with his people in the Old Testament. That's, that's the old covenant. Jesus came fulfilling the old covenant, bringing in a new covenant. And the word covenant just means promise. So it's this promise of relationship with created and creator, right? And it's this idea, the, the old covenant had all these laws and different things that God put in place to actually reveal to us that we couldn't live up to this thing. And we needed a savior. So he sends his son to fulfill the covenant and create a new covenant with us but what we find out in this new covenant all these laws and different things that were put in place we can never live up to we needed a savior and we see that it's not just that we shouldn't murder someone we shouldn't think be angry with someone we shouldn't have an affair but we also shouldn't ever even look at a woman lustfully or we've committed adultery in our hearts and we see it in the giving aspect as well. It's not just tithing. It's that what we do with our money and our generosity represents our hearts and God's after our hearts. And we're to be radically generous people. I would say today that it's not about tithing. It's about coming to a standard of kingdom-minded mentality with every check that we write. And that as we are planning and working towards our future, our number one concern is the kingdom of God. How can I invest this money in God's kingdom? His money. How can I invest God's money in his kingdom? So I'm not going to stand up here and say you need to tithe. I'm going to stand up here and say you need to be radically generous. Tithing, quite honestly, I think is the baseline. 
Tithing was just a given expectation that first fruits, it's, pre, it's a precursor to the law that was given. The very first murder happened because of money. Cain and Abel killed his brother because the offering, the first fruits offering that was given wasn't one brother's best, but it was the other brother's best. So the one who gave what wasn't his first fruits was not accepted. The one who gave his first fruits was accepted to the Lord. So the jealous brother killed his brother. This, this radical generosity and giving is what God's calling us to for his kingdom. And you think about all this stuff. Why? Well, one, it changes our hearts. Our hearts follow our money. But two, God gave us marching orders and a mission to extend the kingdom of God, that we would be his hands and feet, that our hearts would break for the things that break his. And as we go out to Guatemala and we visit a village that has mud for walls and nothing and no health care, and they could just, there's literally, they could die in these nothingness, that we would be moved, that we would want to do something about it. That there's 200,000 people right here in our, our Stark County that don't claim any religious affiliation at all. They don't know Jesus. And you know what that means? They're going to hell. That means, that means that for eternity they will be separated from God. That should mean something to us. If we really believe what this book says, then it has to move us to action. We have to realize that God, when Jesus gave us his marching orders and he says, go and share the gospel. It's not just about us gathering here on Sunday mornings, hearing some fluffy message about how you can be a better person. That is not Mission View Church. That is not the gospel. The gospel is this. You better go talk to your neighbor. They need to meet Jesus because their eternity, their eternity is dependent on it. We have to be a people that are moved by the gospel. And then we talk to our neighbors we talk to our family members that don't know Jesus because their eternity depends on it. That's what, that's what God's calling us into. He has a mission for you. You're not here on accident. God brought you here on purpose. We are going to reach 200,000 people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the love of God. Come be a part of that with us. Go on mission to Guatemala in July. Go on mission to one of our other missionaries all over the world. And go on mission as you leave today. Take one of those skate nights to your neighbors and, and just say, hey, our church is doing a skate night Monday night. We'd love to see you there. It's free food. Here's free tickets. Is there anything I'd be praying for you for? How's life going? It is that simple. The church was never meant to be in isolation. It was meant to be on mission. And God has a mission for you. I want to close with this challenge that God gives us. It's in Malachi 3.10. It says this, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. What I want to point out about that, we've already talked about, I don't think it's about tithing, I think it's about much more beyond that. So let's just, let's just look at this key phrase in the middle of this text. And thereby put me to the test. 
God does not. <laughs> that, is, that's, that is a crazy, crazy phrase. Like, God does not say that. that, that you don't test the Lord unless he says, test me in this. That is a huge statement, massive statement. Test me in this and see what I will do. Most people talk about that like, you know, he's going to pour out a bunch of money and give you a bunch of money, right? You've heard those sermons? God's not going to give you money to show you who loves you. He gave his son for, for that. Did you hear that? God's not going to pour out money on you to show you who loves you. He gave his son for that. He pours out financial blessing on you so you can invest in his kingdom. That you can, you can share the gospel. That you can do things with that to extend his kingdom. But test him in this. It's one of the only times he ever says those words. God's mission view, God is calling us to be a radically generous church. We are going to be radically generous with our time. We're going to be radically generous with our treasures. And we're going to be radically generous with our talents. All for the kingdom of God. Because he's worth it. And he's going to hold us accountable for what we do with those things. Let us be an obedient people. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your word this morning. It is a heavy word and we understand that. We have been given so much. You have been so gracious to us. Father, we just acknowledge right now that we don't deserve that. We don't deserve the blessings that you've poured out on us. But you've entrusted so much to us. Help us to be a generous people. That we wouldn't trust in uncertain riches that could be taken away in a moment. But God, we would trust in you. Father, I pray for everyone here as well and those watching on live stream that you would do a work in our hearts. That it's not about money, Father. It's about a relationship. Draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. One last thing I want to share before we move on is this. The Bible says that God loves a joyful giver and you should never give under compulsion. So as we talk through this, I would say this. If you feel guilted into giving, please, please do not give. And I mean that sincerely. If you feel guilted into giving, please do not give. But if you feel like the Holy Spirit's leading you to give for his kingdom, for your joy, and to give in those ways, give. You know, God does a work in our hearts. And only he can do that work. It's only my job to share the truth. And sometimes I share it kind of passionately. It's just kind of my personality and who I am. But I want you to know um, God's after your heart. And he will change your heart and your money will follow. So, so I just pray that you would do that uh, as the Spirit's leading. And the conviction, the sweet conviction that he brings. Not any condemnation or guilt that you would sense from a pulpit. So I just wanted to share that.